A shooting rampage at three spas in the Atlanta metro area Tuesday, leaving eight people dead and one wounded. Police apprehending one suspect, 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long of Woodstock, Georgia. Law enforcement saying that video evidence suggests that it's extremely likely that the same person is responsible for all three shootings. He apparently has an issue, uh, what he considers a, a, a sex conviction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to to um, to go to these places, and, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. I'm not a virus. I'm not a virus. I am not a virus. Not a virus. I'm not a virus. I'm not a virus. walking through the airport, uh, an older gentleman stops, he pulls down his mask, looks at me, and says, ni hao, which is hello in Chinese, and, and then ching chong, which is a racial slur that's been used for decades. And um, I was stunned. I mean, it, this has happened to me before, sadly, um, mm -hmm. but every time it happens, it, it, it shocks me. And Here is my proof. This is sustained from my service in the US military. Now, is this patriot enough? I'm not ashamed to walk around anymore. Before I was felt inhibited. People look at me strange. And they to question me, my loyalty to this country. I don't look American enough. Now, last I read the US constitutions, we the people, we are all the same. We are equal. Not this. You are more superior. You are not. We are all the same. Yes, he, he understood um, the gravity of it, and he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Common Narrative. Um, I'm Crystal Haynes. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're working out some technical issues. You know Murphy's Law. It is what it is, but we definitely want to have this conversation here today. Uh, joining with me, who's been very patient, is Representative Taki Chan and journalist Jonathan Cho. Uh, you know, I think everyone in the country really has been taking a moment to pause um, as we have a racial reckoning when we're talking about the black community and of course uh, with uh, Derek Chauvin being on trial, you have these Atlanta shootings and you have these shootings um, and these deaths of these Asian American women. It's really like hitting and rocking so many Asian American and Asian uh, communities. And so I, I played a little bit of, of, of uh, content for you all that has been in the media. Common Narrative's whole purpose is to break down the media's effect on public perception and uh, civic engagement and what that means like what people take away from the content that they're that they are uh, consuming and what they're taking away from the messages that they're hearing from lawmakers journalists like jonathan and i um so first i want you all to uh give yourselves a little bit better introduction here uh to break down things for folks um representative chan why don't you explain to viewers and uh or see i'm used to saying viewers because i work on tv <laughs> explain to our listeners about um you know tell tell us who you are and and you know what really i, I guess what where you are with all of this well thank you very much for having me on my name is tacky chan I'm the state representative of the 2nd Norfolk District located in the city of Quincy. I'm the first person of color elected in my city, as well as one of the first people elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives that is Asian American, in my case, Chinese American, along with Donna Wong and Paul Schmidt. And we formed the House Asian Caucus through our very small numbers. And currently, I'm the chair of consumer protection and uh, professional licensure. And that makes me the most senior person in the Democratic Caucus leadership structure that is a person of color. Uh, right now, the most senior members of color come from the 2011 class, of which I am one of them. Um, my feelings are pretty 
tough. I mean, I've been reminding my members and my uh, colleagues in the house that we've been suffering just the longest 16 months in on economic impact as well as discrimination, bigotry, and racism and violence. Uh, the Atlanta shootings is the, I think, the tipping point that now everyone is aware of the cross-sectionality against uh, Asian Americans. Anti-Asian is not a purely limited to certain demographics. It's pretty much everyone against us now is the feeling everyone has. And at the same time, though, it's emboldened people to speak up. Asian Americans of different ethnic groups are now talking about their stories and struggles as young people and old people, as you saw in the video. And that's very inspiring. At the same time, though, I listen to high school students about their current racial uh, discrimination and words said to them. And uh, it reminds me of my own childhood from well over 30, 40 years ago now. I'm, I'm older than my hair lets on. And I'm very disheartened that, that we've come all this way with much more open and uh, school systems. We have more diversity, we have more understanding. But this behavior persists, which is a baseline of American culture. So I'm at the same time, very sad and angry, but also hopeful. Jonathan Cho, you are you used to be out here in Boston at NBC at NBC Boston here, um, but now you're at uh, Como News. Uh, you know, into reintroduce yourself to folks, and then tell me as a journalist on the ground, right? Like, what has been your experience in grappling with this? Yeah, uh, Crystal, thanks again uh, so much for having me. It was great to hear from you. Uh, look, I'm, as you know, I'm a local kid. Uh, grew up in uh, Brookline, uh, Massachusetts. Went to elementary, high school, and graduated from Boston University and had the privilege to work at the NBC in Boston for a few years. Uh, Representative Chen, good to see you again. It's been a while. But uh, with COVID, I ended up during the pandemic moving to Seattle, Washington, because there was a tremendous opportunity out there to work for the uh, ABC station uh, to be the main beat reporter for uh, the crime and justice beat out here. And uh, quite frankly, uh, look, I'll cut right to the chase. I moved right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and as we all know, uh, especially Representative Chad, you know, we saw what the Asian American community in Boston was dealing with. Right. I mean, in the beginning, nobody wanted to go to Chinatown and, uh, you know, businesses were losing money and uh, people were like, come on, what's going on? And then the harassment and then the hate and then the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you know, exploded across the nation. Crystal. Right. We remember that. I'm just telling you now from a news gathering standpoint, mm. entire nearly a year of that and then whiplash again. Now we're going back to the Asian hate stuff and, and the violence and the harassment. But I will tell you, it's been, it's been a hell of a year. It's been a historic year. Newsrooms though, this is my assessment. Mm -hmm. I would say on average, we've all been caught with our pants down. We're still trying 100%. to figure out how to deal 100%. with Black Lives Matter, right, Crystal? We haven't given the proper context, the perspective to that movement and what that all means and then you've got the Asian hate attacks coming and we don't know how to deal with that, right? I mean, video after video after video after video, unfortunately of, you know, a black or brown person attacking an Asian person. Look, I'll just tell you this much. As journalists, it's our responsibility to help us all make sense of that. What I'm getting at is right now in many Asian American communities, I'm just telling you what we're all thinking. Oh my God black person again oh my god brown person again attacking an asian person is there an issue there in that in those communities well the quick answer is yes we got to talk about it but we have to give proper context and perspective and so many of us are failing at what's going on and look of course at the end of the day no matter which spectrum you're on people have been saying especially out here in seattle well it's a symptom of white supremacy Mm -hmm. Right, I don't even know what that means right now. My point again is journalists like us, we have to break that down for our audience, what this all means, how we got to this point, why it keeps on happening, but we're failing to give the context and perspective. Again, that's just my opinion. And and I have to say too, like I remember when the shooting happened and then the next day in, in our newsrooms, especially, and I'll speak to my newsroom, we we're like, well, we don't know what the motive is. So we don't know how to label this particular crime. And so I had already started connecting to um, Asian American leadership in Massachusetts. Cause I said, cause in my mind as a journalist, I was thinking, okay, 
no matter what, we need to get a reaction, a response to how folks are feeling about this. Because I know even though, uh, you know, George Floyd was murdered in, in Minneapolis, it was not, I, my community felt it, black folks felt it, right? So then you had this news conference, which will play that for folks where, you know, the, the, the uh, sheriff of that county or, or the law enforcement in that, in that county said, well, he said in this interview, it wasn't racially motivated. He was having a bad day. And then newsroom said, okay, well, it's not racially motivated, so we don't have to talk about the, the, the hate against Asians. And then we, we didn't know how to pivot because the conversation sat at the intersection of so many societal issues that we are grappling with right now. And because newsrooms, like you said, Joe, just really don't know, um, Jonathan, <laughs> don't know how to pivot, don't know how to like dig deep into some of these really nuanced conversations yet it, it we just kind of cover it as like this shooting happens and then when then we start to dig into more as we start to talk to folks in in, in asian community and things like that so i think that that's where there was a misstep i talked to journalists who were in newsrooms across boston and said it was the same thing it was all automatic said oh well the suspect said it wasn't about racism it was just about you know the fetishization of asian women which is another problem um so I want to play this piece of video, and then I want you guys to sort of speak to that as well. Okay, so I don't have that, but we played it at the top of the show um, a little bit. So, I, I mean, Representative Chan, what was your, when you saw this news conference, which I imagine you were plugged into, what was happening, what was your first reaction when you heard things like, well, he was tempted, so he wanted to get rid of this temptation, and well, he was having a bad day? Well, I think it's a reaction of every single Asian American that saw that is the, um, you can use your own explicit words uh, going forward from there, because it's a continued disbelief that we won't be recognized as people of color. And there was no clear example in that, especially you know, when the person said it was a bad day, and we're like flashbacks of Viz and Chin for those that knows our history, that it's okay to kill Asian folks, in this case, Korean and Chinese. Um, and uh, it, it's like, sure, it's acceptable behavior because he had a bad day and reinforcing negative images against Asian American women as uh, prostitutes, even though there's no evidence of that here, nor there was any information to that effort. But law enforcement pretty much just gaslit the victims. And uh, my complete and total horror when they did that, um, I just I just couldn't believe this, uh, given the fact that we spent a whole year on BLM trying to enlighten people to people of color's issues and uh, police response to people of color. And mm -hmm. given Atlanta's pretty rough history this past summer with both COVID and racial justice issues and now an election, um, it's like, are you kidding me? And I think I'd speak for a lot of folks that saw that. And women and uh, senior citizens have been particularly targeted three times as much as Asian men and, and the sheer amount of fear going on in Boston is, is palpable about their safety, especially when media is uneducated, very much uneducated about Asian American issues. Mm. Uh, Jonathan, I mean, we've sat through, I mean, what, thousands of news conferences, right? <laughs> in watching that particular one with the the law enforcement from Cherokee County, the law enforcement from Atlanta, what went through your mind? Everything that uh, Representative Chan laid out as well. I, I was more in disbelief. Um, and it's really interesting. I was scrambling because people in my newsroom immediately, let me just tell you from the news vantage point where I was mm -hmm. so disappointed in so many, with the response of so many newsrooms, I was in the uh, a, a big gathering with the Asian American Journalists Association literally a day after that. We have a broadcast advisory committee, and uh, you know we're we're basically a trade group that you know connects a bunch of journalists of color and especially Asian American across the country. And these AAJ leaders and I, we were talking about what the hell did we just witness? You know, this guy just completely downplayed. And again, a, a white male, and, mm -hmm. and that's definitely part of this narrative completely downplayed this issue and immediately we asked would he have said the same thing if it was like you know if it was white victims or you know someone else I mean, or is it just because they're asian that this happened and 
the takeaway was what we took away from that was so many newsrooms primarily depend on law enforcement as mm -hmm. the end all be all. And what we took away from that is mm -mm, not anymore. They're just one source. Let me repeat that one more time. They're just one source, not the official source. And what at the end of the day, I don't know what was inside that man's mind and his heart, the shooter. And if that's his alibi to get out of federal charges, federal hate crime charges, I mean, fine, whatever. But all I know is this, the Asian American community in Atlanta, across the nation, we saw that beyond just a bad day. That was years and years of this stuff happening to the community, people not covering it in the news media or chalking it up to just another typical crime. But with everything going on in the country and that moment, it's hard to dismiss it right away. And that was a failure definitely by the uh, law enforcement agency and props to, you know, the mayor, uh, Mayor Bottoms. Uh, Larry yeah. Bottoms there. She immediately replaced that dude and put her own people there to be the spokesperson moving forward. And police were like, uh-uh, we haven't ruled this out now. That's a possible hate crime. You know, whereas that sheriff's deputy spokesperson immediately did. And I think newsrooms, especially managers, got humbled in that moment. I hope they did. Mm -hmm. They learned that you cannot just dismiss it as a non-hate crime just because this cop says it's not. Come right. on, now the investigation isn't even over. Let's wait for that. Exactly. I have that piece of video here, so I want folks to listen to it. Nicole, Will Stark, Kenestone Hospital in Marietta. Don't know. Um, and, and by the way, we're, I agree with the mayor. We're not going to do any victim shaming. We're not sure what his presence was there. Uh, and, we're, and the other people that were killed at the location, we're not going to say whether they were employees or whether they were there just by happenstance. So just don't want to go into that at this time. I do have a press release with their names that we will give y'all uh, when this is over with. Um, so is that the only survivor? That is the only survivor. We had four killed and one survived. Yeah, let me go into a little bit of detail. So the suspect did uh, take responsibility for the shootings. Um, he uh, said that early on once we began the interviews with him. Um, he claims that these, and as the chief said, we know this is still early, but he does claim that it was not racially motivated. He apparently has an issue, uh, what he considers a, a, a sex fiction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to, to um to go to these places and, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. Um, like I said, it's still early on, but those were, those were comments that he made. Did he discuss any kind of religious uh, motivation for this or was he responsible? Not that I'm aware of, not that I'm aware of. Or political? Non-political, I've heard nothing about politics. And he his social media history, is that something he's been able to look at? That's something that investigators, I mean, they've been working on out along and that's certainly one of the things they'll be doing. Sure, could you have the sense that he understood what he um, when I when we, I spoke with the investigators, they interviewed him this morning, and I, uh, they got that impression that yes, he he understood um, the gravity of it, and he was pretty much fed up, and then kind of at the end of his rope, and um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. Remorseful? Uh, I'm not going to go to. I don't know if he was remorseful or not. So that's that's part of the news conference. It was obviously very long. Um, in terms of news conferences that are streamed on television. But I thought about like, they said, well, is he remorseful? And then the, and then the, then the, the uh, law enforcement from Cherokee County said, well, he's not going to go into that, but he did go as far as to say that the guy had a bad day. <laughs> so I'm thinking about how, as we go live on that kind of stuff and Jonathan, you know, you can speak to this, like, how do you, how do you write that story, right? Like, how do you write that story, go live and explain what you just heard? Yeah, uh, and I think in our business, we have to, look, let's, I got to give our, our newsrooms a benefit of the doubt that we all yeah. would have wanted to cover it the right way. Look, we have to, Journalism 101, we have to attribute it, right, to law enforcement. This is what law enforcement says. This is what that side says. But if we get it, you know, wrong the first time, or we don't, you know, if we're going live and we don't give the full in-depth coverage at that moment, 
we have to be prepared to do the follow-up in the very next newscast or the next day at the very least to find those Asian American experts or those professors or somebody who covers law enforcement, right? And to add that perspective and context instead of saying, hey, well, the uh, police say it's not a hate crime. And, you know, he says it's not a hate crime or that. So, you know, it's not really a hate crime. So we can't really call it that. But, you know, we'll cover it. I think that's where we failed. And that's what we need to do a better job. Yes, it's a difficult situation where you're going live. You just got to, you know, put out the five W's and put out the nuts and bolts. But, man, we got to do the follow up and not completely dismiss the possibility that this could be hate or bias motivated. Mm -hmm. Representative, what are some of your thoughts after hearing that that clip again? Well, unfortunately, mass shooting comes in chunks after one. So after Atlanta, we had Colorado followed by Virginia Beach and the shopping mall most recently. And you didn't hear any of the journalists ask questions about, is the person remorseful? And there's also a difference in coverage regarding, for example, racial profiling in the Colorado case uh, where uh, you have a Syrian American and uh, the FBI is going in, taking computers, doing a full review, and they're getting interviews of the victims that survived. But you notice in Atlanta, there was no interview about any of the victims. If I remember correctly, one of the husbands of the, of the deceased was still in the facility, mm. uh, listening to an abstract horror, according to one of the local papers in Georgia. So, you know, besides, uh, obviously, the deceased, I mean, the people that lived through that, watched that, heard that, but no one's talked about, can we help the victims? Should it be some assistance program, what is trauma associated with it? Dead silence on that. Uh, but you move on to the other uh, shootings, that's not the case. So there is a clear disparity of interviewing and looking into it. Uh, and I applaud uh, journalists that have shared their personal stories about discrimination, not just at home or at the uh, in the hometown and the schools, but also known workplaces. Those stories are now making appearances and it makes us feel a little less alone because isolation is definite. And it's scary when you're isolated. I know very well what it's like to be isolated, believe me. Um, so, and, and let me add to what Representative Chan is saying. This is a huge point. The Korean media, the Korean ethnic media, was way ahead of this Atlanta story because they actually were able to do the interviews with the victims' families, especially the Korean ones, in the Korean language. And what was coming out from the non-ethnic media, the majority mainstream media, was just the quotes from law enforcement saying, well, the shooter says it's not a hate crime. The actual family members of the surviving you know, victims, they were saying, no, he said he had, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the translation in Korean was, no, he said that he didn't like Asians and he had a problem with Asians and he went in there and shot that up. So law enforcement has to consider all of these variables from ethnic media, mainstream media, and all of that, again, right now, uh, I hope is now being considered in this investigation as it moves forward. Hmm. And even during the summertime during the BLM movement, I mean, there was unfortunately some troublemakers in the riots, including in Boston. But the, the ransacking of Chinatown, well, it wasn't quite a ransack, it was bad enough. You know, Chinatown in Boston was completely uncovered. We saw video coverage of Newberry Street, people breaking windows in and attacking the high income district, uh, income district in an organized fashion. But my uh, other Chinese friends tell me that uh, Chinatowns around the country was also victims of riot, uh, rioting, uh, organized rioting and looting, and uh, no one uh, covered that story at all. And these are major media outlets that just kind of blew it over. Yeah, I want to play a clip from uh, CNN correspondent Mara Walker, who explained her situation as a journalist covering this, but also, you know, to your point, Representative Chen, you know, what you were saying about now folks are really starting to, to connect to what this looks like, right? And that's why I wrote about it. You know, I wanted to be a voice for so many of us Asian Americans who don't speak out when these kinds of things happen. And I do want to say, Brianna, if I had encountered just one racially charged incident yesterday, I wouldn't have probably posted about it, but it was a fact that it happened back to back to back within a span of an hour, Brianna, uh, is what really shook me to my core. And right now I have to admit I'm shaking right now. I, I still can't believe um, that we went through this, that I went through this. Um, okay, so here's what happened. First incident, I, I'm walking through the airport. Uh, an older gentleman stops, he pulls down his mask, looks at me and says ni hao, which is hello in Chinese, and, and then ching chong, which is a racial slur that's been used for, for decades. And um, I was stunned. I mean, it, this has happened to me before, sadly. Um, mm -hmm. But 
every time it happens, it, it, it shocks me. And like I've done in the past, I just kept walking. I, I didn't know what to say. Um, and he walked away. And the more I thought about it, my blood was just yeah, her blood was boiling, she said. And then later on, she describes how her and her producer are in the airport and another person engages her um, and then asks her if she speaks English and the person doesn't have a mask on and asks her if she speaks English and starts asking her questions. And she's like, I don't, I do speak English, um, but I can't answer your questions because I don't work in this airport. Like I'm CNN journalist. And that person became very, aggressive towards her and then again started uh, using racial slurs. And when she asked the police officer in the airport for some assistance and explained the situation, she says that the police officer became very agitated and said, well, it's not racist to ask you if you speak English or not. And then her producer, who, as I understand it, is a white person, kind of tried to speak up. But they were also intimidated by this police officer who she describes as 6'4", a large man, um, obviously, you know, armed to some degree. So I'm thinking about, you know, as journalists talk about their experiences walking in this world, talk to me about what that is like for both of you all, because I think that that's a story that really goes untold as well. Well, I'll say this. Don't wear a blue shirt while going to Best Buy as an mm. Asian American. Trust me. I mean, anti-Asian is not new. I mean, it's over 100, 200 years old in this country. It's systemic racism. It is part of the American culture. I hate to tell you all this, but it really is. Uh, and it's per pervasive, uh, not just uh, with the white community, as Jonathan correctly points out, it's black and Latino communities too, as well, adopt this anti-Asian component, uh, which is prolific uh, for well over 150, 200 years. And uh, things like Madame Butterfly, Miss Saigon, depiction of Asian Americans in movies, even going back to before we had uh, uh, talkie films, uh, you know, Asian Americans were perceived always as the villain who would attack white women. Very familiar narrative in the black community, right? You know, they're, they're the attackers of white women and, uh, and they're always in Harry lewd and uh, dis disruptive behavior. And, and we always bring up the Page Act, which prohibits women from coming to the country from China uh, and to uh, deport anybody at will that considered as uh, improper, which set up racial bias for decades and decades to come in this country, but it started with the Chinese. People think it's like a black and Latino thing. Really, it started the Chinese regarding racial profiling at that level, as well as you know DACA. DACA was actually a Korean undocumented in 2000 was pushing forward the Dream Act, but again, people mistake it as a Latino issue. That's actually not accurate. Again, no one knows our history, and newsrooms don't want to report it. And, and this is kind of a big part of our challenge. And now we're speaking up, and then I have this fear because authority figures won't stand up for us and continue to reiterate these negative things. As an elected official, I'll tell you, when I first ran for office, number one question was where I was born. Hmm. Then it's reinforced with uh, my constituency, reminded me that I don't work just for you people, so to speak. You work for everybody, which is true. I do work for everybody. I mean, anybody who has interaction with me in my district knows I give everybody a fair shake and I try my best. But it doesn't mean I cannot advocate for issues in the Asian community, Chinese community, uh, challenges regarding language access, which is beyond just Asian Americans. It impacts other immigrant communities and giving us all a fair shake and you know, educating uh, policymakers uh, in the state house about our challenges. Uh, and that's kind of a big thing about being elected. It's not just you got elected. Now you got to educate the folks around you about the different Asian American issues. I don't claim to be an expert on Koreans and Indians and Pakistanis, Indonesians, every single one. But I mean, it's to open that conversation. And the fear I have is the fist and chin problem. That once you uh, had this massive outcry, that suddenly it goes away and we have to wait for the next horror. And there has been horrors since Mr. Chin, LA riots. You know, Jonathan knows this history very well. Um, you know, we had the Sikh massacre. Um, you had the 9 11 attack, a Sikh again. Sikhs are regularly attacked post 9 11. Uh, and, you know, they're a minority group that no one wants to admit that uh, has equal protection like everyone else. Yeah, and to add to what uh, Representative Chan says, I mean, we have a big picture problem with our American public education system as well as the media, right? When we talk about the word diversity, one of the biggest pet peeves for so many Asian Americans, and listen carefully to especially even our politicians, when they talk about diversity, it's usually just the black and white narrative when there's so much more in between. So imagine how Asian Americans feel 
uh, that they've been completely, you know, marginalized, yet they've com contributed so much and continue to contribute so much to this country. Then on top of that, we're just seen as stereotypes, right? The model minority myth. We're good at math. We're all going to be doctors and lawyers and we're good at tech and so on and so forth. So that's really annoying. And, you know, personally, you know, you never want to be the story, right, Crystal, as a journalist, but I'll never forget this moment. And it's been rare, but it's happened to me in Boston just three years ago when I was going uh, going for a story in Revere and doing a live shot. A group of Hispanic kids drove by as I was going live to yell, you know, Ching Chong and go back to China. And I'm Korean American. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. We're all the same pretty much to a lot of people, but we're not a monolith. We speak so many different languages as Asian Americans. We have different cultures. We look differently, different, you know, alphabet in many cases, different foods, yet we all get lumped together for this convenient narrative. So anyway, where am I kind of going with all of this in response to your question, Crystal? We've got a lot of work to be done, but I still see this time, this moment as an opportunity, a teachable moment. Will we just chalk this off to be another, oh, it's another uh, you know, wave of Asian hate and it's gonna go away? Or will our policymakers, our lawmakers, our, our school superintendents, our uh, leaders really say, you know what, we need to really start educating our communities uh, of not only about Asian American history, black history, my goodness, that's we're failing there. Native American history, uh, Hispanic, Latino history. I mean, there's just so much. When you have the majority cult culture in our textbooks, I mean, Crystal, uh, Tacky, we all grew up in public schools to a certain degree. I did, I didn't go to any private school. In public schools, I never ever learned about any type of Asian American history except for Chinese New Year. And again, I'm not even Chinese. And when it comes to newsrooms, we fail so badly, right, Crystal? It's always, uh, we got to do uh, the story on MLK Day. And the worst part is when they send the black reporter to cover that. And here in Boston, we don't even do MLK coverage that well anymore. It's always the MLK breakfast in Dorchester with Mayor Marty Walsh and black pastors and black leaders. It's a VOSA. Come on now. As I described, disregards Asian Americans as part of the civil rights movement, as Jonathan points out. I mean, during the 60s and 70s, my aunt was involved. We can't use this term anymore, but, you know, quote unquote, yellow power. You can't, you can't, obviously, we don't use that anymore. But that was the you know, day of the time to try to, uh, you know, get our voices out there. And I think we've been quoted more than once in various media that no matter how much we say, if no one listens, they act like it's our fault. And this is the story of my life. I speak up, no one listens. Well, you didn't say anything. I've been talking for a long time. You just chose not to listen. Well, it's your fault. You should learn English. You know, you should assimilate. You should be part of the culture. You know, you shouldn't have to, you know, you should change your diet. I mean, I remember, you know, when I first started public school, my mom told me a story about the fact that the administration told uh, my mom not to use Chinese in the household. It's bad for your child. Today, that's flat out discriminatory, but this was you know, 40 some odd years ago. And uh, unfortunately, I did go to St. Anne's and BC High, uh, but there was uh, these old textbooks from the 80s, minuscule amount of information about other folks. I know a lot about European history, but I didn't get my full dose of uh, Asian American histories until I got to uh, BC High and then uh, Brandeis University is when I finally got my first real shot at learning about different Asian American cultures. I'm also thoughtful about th that conversation about how Asian Americans are used as a wedge in within the diversity conversation, right? So like you hear all of this rhetoric and this narrative around, well, the, the perpetrator in some of these um, other incidents that you're seeing, like the, the senior Asian American woman that gets knocked down, um, that video and some of these other videos, well, that's perpetrated by black men. So is that racist? And, the, and, and, then, and, then you're, and then as you were saying to this point, Representative Chan, like it's diversity is black or white. And like Asian folks, they're all, they're, they don't have the same sort of uh, uh, issues of discrimination that black folks experience, that Latinx folks experience. And so then Asian Americans are used as this wedge within the conversation of people of color. When the reality is, is like, as you said, if people knew the history, black and brown folks have come together in coalition for a very long time, for generations to fight for everyone's civil rights. So I'm curious, and then of course the model minority myth about Asian Americans are good in math, 
they are highly successful because they're good at math and business and things like that. So when you all are talking in this space, especially now because there's still the BLM, the movement for black lives happening, how do you talk to folks in a way so that they get that this is, I mean, I'm gonna say it, this is a tactic by white supremacists to divide us, to divide people of color and to disenfranchise folks in general. But how do you have this conversation around the wedge that, that Asian Americans are being used as in, in the diversity conversation, in the inclusion conversation? No, I'm not good at math. So let's kill that myth right away. Uh, so <laughs> let's make that easy one. I think you use the word wedge correctly. Now you're trapped, right? The wedge is trapped. You're trapped between two uh, polar uh, power structures in America that really run politics. I mean, let's be frank with this. You know, government is run by black and white. There is no space for anybody else. And we're now trapped in this space being squeezed as useful tools for both sides. As I said earlier, anti-Asian is not a white supremacist issue. Anti-Asian pervades our entire culture. It's in our media, it's in, in you know, cultural appropriation. You've seen that through celebrities who finally admitted they were doing that. Uh, there's a negative image about overseas, uh, the China war, trade wars, the, all the military operations in Korea, Laos, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Japan, Korea, you know, even in China, people forget that we were participating in colonialism, the Fuji Islands, Hawaii. I mean, American uh, government has been very involved in a negative way in some cases on Asian Americans. The Philippines, you know, another location that was an American colony. So, I mean, this is kind of the baseline of anti-Asian appears throughout the sector. So we're wedged in, we're trapped, we're scared, we're being squeezed, and neither side wants to stand up for us. So we're trying to stand up for ourselves, but suddenly it's our fault that we're standing up for ourselves. And this, this is a real problem here. And uh, I agree with Jonathan about the white supremacist thing. That, that's a red herring. Because if you think about this carefully, it is, it's, it's making the impression that white people and black people are attacking Asian Americans because the white supremacist said so. Well, we know that's not true. I mean, that's not true. Uh, it's, it's a cultural issue throughout our whole country. And it, it's very problematic. And even the word brown, there's 1.7 billion brown Asians in the, in the world. Do we just forget about 1.7 billion brown Asians in the world? I mean, I certainly haven't because you're used to seeing me and Jonathan. We're East Asian. We have a lighter skin, although in the summer I do get extremely dark. Uh, you know, but somehow this like perception that you forget about 1.7 billion people, India, Indonesia, you know, people in Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos and Myanmar. I mean, they, they don't exist anymore, right? And it's it's guess what? That's anti-Asian folks. You've just completely blew off that size of the population of the planet in the American conversation. So we're fighting for the same pool. This goes back to the media and the education piece, right? How did we let, who who decides who's gonna be black, white, brown, yellow? Who determines that standard? Do we even bother to ask? Or do we just simply continue to parrot and perpetuate these phrases, these terms and stereotypes to marginalize people, you know? And I'm talking about the media, you know, in our education system that we continue to allow this. And you bring up a great point, Representative. Regardless. Well, also, we're also fighting for the same pool, right? People of color fighting in the same pool that's controlled by the white establishment. So they pity just against each other because we're stuck in the same set of folks. So, so all the people of color get 30% of whatever. You guys fight it out inside that 30% as opposed to opening the pool up to, to more folks as, as demographics change at the white expense of the whiter power structure. And this is the reality. So it's not white supremacy. It's everybody else that benefits from boxing us all in and fighting among ourselves as opposed to saying, look, you know, we've been marginalized, blacks been marginalized, Latinos been marginalized. Let's talk about being marginalized together. And why is that wrong? Ignore the white supremacist. That's a red herring. It's, it's a way to get people of color to fight the wrong person, you know, because Donald Trump's easy. But we're not going to, you know, go after Starbucks. We're not going to go after, you know, different uh, corporations, you know, insurance companies went out about how come uh, you create these bamboo ceilings. And, you know, the glass ceiling for women and so forth and so forth. I mean, that's marginalization. That's that's a common thread we all have. But we're now distracted. We want to fight someone. I'm not interested in fighting people. I want to have a constructive outcome and find let's, intersectionality let's is the challenge. All going on, Representative Chan, before Donald Trump, right? Before this conversation with Make America Great Again and, you know, China virus and all of that. This was happening before. So that's so telling. Yeah. It's the system we live in forever, and that's systemic racism. So you're right. It's before yeah. Donald Trump. It's always been here. And I think also, too, about we, we can't forget about how this idea that, you know, I think the public 
and we're not necessarily talking to folks about the folks who work in the advocacy space, but the public just sort of accepted this idea that, well, these, um, you know, Asian spas were a temptation for him. And these women were a source of, you know, for lack of a better term right here on the top of my head, you know, this pornographic temptation for him. And I think the fetishization of Asian women is a huge problem. And I think it's fine we're like reading memoirs of a geisha and watching movies and people think have these experiences or they joke about happy endings at spas and parlors and things like that and not realizing that the harm it does to Asian women. And how do you, and, and you know, I mean, you all have women that you care about in your lives. I mean, do you ever have to have this conversation about what they experience? Well, let's bring up two points. One, you point out geishas, right? In American culture, people believe geishas are prostitutes. You know anything about Japanese culture, that's complete fiction. They're uh, entertainers of the upper classes of the old imperial system, which now continues as a licensed profession in Japan. And I hope to someday have a geisha experience and learn about Japanese entertainment and culture that way. I hope to do so someday. But, you know, even when the kimono exhibit came to the Mass uh, uh, Fine Arts, Massachusetts Fine Arts Museum, you know, there was a protest saying the kimonos are slaving the women. Yeah, and it's like, where did you people come from? How do you not know this stuff? And of course, the Boston Globe did actually nothing to do with the research and just assume that this was continuation. You got Mark uh, Ramsier, who just recently published an article uh, in the International Law of um, uh, Law and Economics, who's a law professor that said that comfort women in Korea were contracted by the Japanese. They weren't sex slaves. I mean, what a misogyny. I mean, just trying to warp... Uh, horrible time in, in uh, Korean history uh, by a Harvard law professor. Uh, you know, this is what we're facing in terms of right, this has gone on forever. And let's talk about the talk. Okay, we've had about the black talk. Let's try the Asian talk, all right? I'll speak from my own experience. Don't cause trouble, keep quiet. You can't win no matter what you do. And if something happens, it's gonna be your fault. All right, just apologize for everything. We apologize for everything we won't do. And sometimes it's the most expedient way to de-escalate de a situation and get out but you can't fight the black structure, the white structure, so you just better just roll over. Now, this crap about, oh, Asians are quiet. Well, I was reminding my friends, um, last time I checked, my mom yelled at other Chinese people that were not good to her, but won't yell at white people or black people. Mm. And so that's a load of crock. It's really an intimidation of the power structure to know that we can't win. You know, I hear things like, the cops don't understand us, so they can't protect us, so we can't tell them anything. Well, whose fault is that? It's the police's fault because they don't want to understand them. But now it's our fault. And this is this is a big problem moving forward. And you know, it's anti-Asian throughout our cultural system that boxes in, as you point out, the wedge. We're trapped. We're being squeezed. So what's a safe move? Try to not become a victim by the existing system of black and white. You know, Crystal, ask, uh, let me briefly shine a spotlight on our own journalism industry and especially television, right? Because it's a very visual industry. And, and quite frankly, uh, I think our industry has perpetuated this fetishization and this this yellow fever myth, right? I mean, basically, it's the white guy who loves Asian women because they're so exotic and sexy. And, you know, it's really interesting. The uh, Asian American Journalists Association uh, several years ago did a survey uh, about why there was such a lack of Asian men on television especially in TV newsrooms. And the ratio of Asian women to Asian men on air was stunning. It was like seven to one in the top 30 markets. Uh, and Boston is considered a top 10 market. Right now it's number nine. And the results were unbelievable. And it was uh, you know, anonymous. They interviewed news directors. And some of the... Asian women are seen by white male news directors, again, as sexy, you know, great for the audience, white men love watching. But Asian men, we were seen as nerdy, effeminate, and also the enemy because of all the stereotypes of all the wars. Even right now, the two biggest threats to America, China and North Korea, right? Along with Russia. What does that tell you? It's still today. Then on top of that, at, at home, Asian men, traditionally, culturally, I guess, were seen as the uh, ones to be the breadwinners and eventually take care of their parents. In journalism, Representative Chan, we make nothing when you start out. 
when your buddy out of college is making $80,000 to be a programmer and you're making 19500 to go to the middle of nowhere, Champaign, Illinois, like I did when I started my career, what are you going to do, right? So that's why you have so few Asian men entering our business as well. But again, the getting back to the yellow fever piece, I saw a great sign at one of these rallies. That's the real virus, okay? Yellow fever right now where you have these white guys, and especially in my business, the news directors, who will always choose the Asian female because of their looks, the stereotype, over an Asian guy, even though the Asian guy is good looking and maybe even a better journalist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I want to respect you all's time. We started a little bit late because of some technical issues, but I think um, as we, we wrap up, I'm, I'm thoughtful of what is the change that, what would be the call to action to folks who are listening and watching it, watching this conversation? How do they join the conversation? How do we start, you know, really unpacking this issue and addressing it? Um, and, and what would you all say, you know, if you were having a conversation with someone who doesn't see this as big an issue as it obviously and absolutely is? I'm being very uh, polite because we're in public, but obviously, you know, the conversation I have would be much more lively. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but number one thing people ask me to do, don't feel alone. Have conversations with other Asian Americans or not Asian American friends about discrimination you suffer and get that support group going. Because far too often we feel like we've been abandoned, right? So number one, reach out to your friends, particularly in COVID world we're living in now, the isolation's more than ever we felt before. It's very important. Jonathan and the Asian Journalist Association did just that. And, you know, I encourage everybody to have that conversation uh, with people, uh, you know, safely to do that. Secondly, this conversation needs to continue. In the legislature, I have my data disaggregation bill to break the monolith in terms of how to state collect data. We have legislation by Representative Senator Lewis and a few other folks on uh, putting ethnic education into the system, uh, education system. Uh, it's amazing how many bills rapidly filed after the Atlanta incident uh, in the legislature over that. And then we have a desire to update our hate crimes law. It needs a little bit of work, but you know, my, uh, my good colleague, uh, Trom Wynn, has filed a bill with the Attorney General to try to update our hate crimes law uh, to look at the protected classes. But in the immediate term, you know, we need to talk about, um, have this conversation keep going. If the conversation go away, this all goes away. And even if it's like the school system actually having a conversation with the Atlanta shooting, I have school, uh, systems in my area where I have 40% plus people, but people of color, predominantly Asian Americans, but no one wants to engage the students of counselors and say, you know, what do you think has happened in Atlanta? Uh, it's, it's deafening uh, how little support services that are provided uh, to our young people on these very tragic events. And they have been continually more tragic events and the conversation isn't happening. So, you know, I'm very thankful you're willing to take us on the air here um, and share some thoughts in the matter. And these conversations are going to upset someone but guess what if you're upset you're thinking about it now and if we don't upset you then we got a problem all i would add to that is um i think it would be a, a travesty if the asian american community decides to walk alone i think the lesson here you have to have multi-ethnic coalitions there is strength in numbers as, as as it goes and i think a lot of asian american communities that i'm seeing look i'm in the media as well i want to find these experts or these groups especially in a place like Boston, yeah, you've got, you know, a few pockets of them, but you don't have the go-to coalitions or the go-to experts on these topics. This is the opportunity for the Asian American community. And maybe Representative Chan, you can continue to lead the way as you have done in this area and really go beyond, you know, the, the state house and into these communities and identify who these next generation community leaders are. But I would advise highly to any group that would be asking me as someone in the media, you know, if you want coverage, you've got to make noise you got to have the numbers and you have to be consistent with your messaging and don't go it alone. When you bring in the blacks, the Hispanics, the Native Americans, the Asians, that gets the attention of the majority culture media. Representative Taki Chan and journalist Jonathan Cho, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if you all miss, if you guys entered the show in a little bit late, go ahead, go on commonnarrative.media on our uh, in the website, and then you can also go on our Facebook page and also on YouTube to rewatch this. And I really do encourage you to rewatch it, share it, because there these were some amazing points 
that these gentlemen in this room, figuratively, virtually, uh, you know, were really disseminating to us. And then go again to our website, go back to the website, commonnarrative.media. We have advocacy tools there for you. We have uh, talking points, more information, links from the show to really allow you to have this conversation, unpack these issues. And I absolutely encourage you to do that. Next week on Common Narrative, we are going to be breaking down vaccine equity here in Massachusetts and really across the nation. So be sure to tune in and listen on Spark uh, FM and of course, all of our social media streams. Follow us, turn on your notifications because we'll be, we're gonna be dropping a lot of knowledge on y'all from now on. So again, thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Thank you very much. A shooting rampage at three spas in the Atlanta metro area Tuesday, leaving eight people dead and one wounded. Police apprehending one suspect, 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long of Woodstock, Georgia. Law enforcement saying that video evidence suggests that it's extremely likely that the same person is responsible for all three shootings. He apparently has an issue, uh, what he considers a, a, a sex fiction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to... to um, to go to these places and, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. <laughs> I'm not a virus. I'm not a virus. I am not a virus. I'm not a virus. I'm not a virus. I'm not a virus. I am proud to be Asian. walking to the airport, uh, an older gentleman stops, he pulls down his mask, looks at me, and says ni hao, which is hello in Chinese, and, and then ching chong, which is a racial slur that's been used for decades. And um, I was stunned. I mean, it, this has happened to me before, sadly, um, mm -hmm. but every time it happens, it, it, it shocks me. And Here is my proof. This is sustained from my service in the U.S. military. Is this patriot enough? I'm not ashamed to walk around anymore. Before I was felt inhibited. People looked at me strange. And they to question me, my loyalty to this country. I don't look American enough. Now, last I read the US Constitution, we the people, we are all the same. We are equal. Not this. You are more superior. You are not. We are all the same. Yes, he, he understood um, the gravity of it, and he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And, um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did.